This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Nikki. And I'm Mariah. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Body to Burial. We are going to do a summer schedule for episodes. We are moms, and that is a big priority for us to get to spend some time with the kiddos while they are out of school. So the month of July and August... We are only going to be releasing one episode. If you are a Patreon member, you still will get the one monthly bonus episode. So you'll get two episodes a month. Non-Patreon listeners, you will get one episode a month. We appreciate you giving us support and showing us a little grace during this time as it is important to us to continue to put out content for you guys, but also balance our responsibilities and time with our kids and our families. So just, uh, just a reminder, starting July, and August it will just be one episode for the month and then we will be back to weekly episodes in September so thank you again but without further ado let's move into this week's episode well welcome back Nikki you ready for another episode Tuesday episode I am are we talking to it's gonna be a good one um I feel like this is one I would do we are talking to Ashley, who is a crime reporter at a newspaper. That's yeah. so neat. Right? I just like picture in my head the old school black and white movies with like the notepad and the yes. pen, you know. I don't know why I'm picturing Perry Mason. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 100%. <laughs> Yes. We're on the same vibe. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. This one's neat. I feel like it's going to be really interesting because are those jobs hard to get? Did you have to start writing want ads and then move into crime? Yeah, that's a good one. This one's interesting because there's a lot of like, how did you become this? And how do you get that? Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. Okay. Let's get her on. Let's do this. All right. Ashley, are you there? I am. Hello. How are you? I am very good. How are you? Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. We're super excited. Me too. It's been a long time coming, so I'm super excited. Yeah, it's great. So let's just jump right into it. You are a crime reporter for a local newspaper, but how did you get that job? I want to start there because this is a job I feel like I would love to do. I wanted to go into journalism after high school. I wanted to write for a magazine. This feels like I could do this. I want to understand how you got this job. (laughs) Okay, so I guess it would probably start with my background. So I'll start there and then I'll kind of just lead into it. So I work for the Aniston Star. We're out of Aniston, Alabama. But for the predominant first large portion of my career, I was actually a fashion photographer, but my heart was always in writing and I loved true crime and I was a big true crime buff. So when I went back to school to actually finish my degree, I was going for forensics. Like I was going to do the straight up, you know, full doctorate, like really wanted to get into it. And I was on that trajectory and I was living in South Korea and then I got divorced. And it kind of just like pulled the rug out from under me. And I was like, okay, well, now I have two kids and I don't have all this time to get a doctorate degree anymore. I need something now. What can I do right now? And then I was like, well, I've always loved writing. Maybe I can finish my degree out in journalism. 
Well, the problem is I switched my degree plan over. Nobody told me that I was pretty much going to have to start back all over. And I was like, well, I don't have time to do that either. So I had all these credits for a science degree and then all these credits for an English major degree, and they just didn't mesh. So I ended up graduating with a integrated studies degree. But while I was finishing my senior year in college, I did an internship with this paper, the paper that I'm working with now. And it was like, Mid-COVID, everybody was focusing on COVID-related stories. And as an intern, I was writing things that were falling through the cracks that all of the full-time journalists couldn't cover anymore because they were focusing on more important matters. And (laughs) I guess that kind of cut my foot in the door because then a lot of the upper management, they knew my face. And once I graduated, they're like, okay, well, what what do you want to do? And I was like, well, my dream job would be to be a cops and crimes beat. It would just be like a, an investigative journalist. And they're like, well, do we have news for you? Because that job's been open for eight months and we haven't had anybody to fill it. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Within like two days, they call me back and they're like, yeah, we think that you'd be perfect for this role. And it's actually really strange because not everyone can do it. Really? Yeah. So getting your sources when it comes to cops and courts reporting or crime reporting, are the police officers and local officials like the district attorneys. And if you don't have a personal relationship with those people, then you don't have that in. You can't get the stories. You'll get a press release, which every other local TV or print journalism place is going to have, but you're not going to get the things that are the more meat of substance. You'll, you'll get the, okay, it happened at the 1100 block of Ewing Avenue or whatever, but you won't get the actual story. And a lot of the problems that they were having at the newspaper before I came in was to find that story or to hunt down that story wasn't necessarily something that the other journalists here were interested in. But before I stepped into that role, it was just a lot of rewriting press releases. That's so weird. Yeah. You think it's personality type stuff too? Maybe they just didn't have the right personality because you sound very outgoing. So maybe it was something like that. Um, I think maybe a little. I would like to think more than just personality has to do with caring about people. You can kind of write feature stories all day long and you can write about city council meetings and all of that. And you really just put words to a paper and, and say what. And I'm not throwing my other reporters under the bus or anything. They're great at that. I can't do that. I can't sit through a four hour long council meeting and without wanting to go out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. <laughs> if I can go on a little small, tiny tangent here, when the very first actual cop-related story that I was kind of thrown to the wolves on, um, there was an elderly gentleman here that was missing. And he had actually worked for our newspaper in the past. He had actually retired from here. And his family members had contacted us to help because they knew that he had worked here for a really long time. He had friends here. So they kind of was like, okay, Ashley, this is your bag. Go do what you do best. And I was like, all right, cool. And I was on the phone that day with local PD that was having helicopters up in the air. And I was physically running through the newsroom trying to get stuff done. And that was like really the first day that I kind of stepped into it. And at the end of the day, I found him. It was like four counties away, but he had been in his car and completely disoriented. He was an elderly gentleman. So I don't know if it was just that he got like a out of dementia and he just was confused or what it was, but he went into the hospital and he was found and he was okay. But it, it was just oh. something that was like, yeah, like it, it Happy felt ending. good. You know, that, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
for sure. But this is why I like doing that because in, in the grand scheme of things, it really can help people. It's not just about reporting about the people who died or getting justice about people who were murdered or kidnapped or anything like that. It is about real people changing their lives now. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. As you're talking, this is literally right up Mariah's alley. Don't you think, Mariah? Oh, d- dying. this is like how do I like moonlight as a crime reporter I feel like you want to like shadow and just do a ride along if you have ride along 100% I mean she probably doesn't but I'll ride in her minivan whatever she's got I'm there I have a RAV4 there we go let's go when she was talking, I was like, oh my God, it's a real word. Cause she says, I work the crime and pop beat. And I was like, it's a beat. They actually call it that. I'm, I'm so yeah. there. <laughs> yes. Okay. Sorry. I just had to point that part out. Cause as you're talking, <laughs> I'm like, Mariah's probably dying over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She loves it. I want to go back to how your day is structured because we'll use me as the example. So if I'm getting arrested, at 11.30 p.m., when are you getting notified and by who that there's a story breaking? Let's say it's horrific. Let's say I went on a killing spree. Um, it's not just a little misdemeanor. <laughs> Jesus, Mariah. <laughs> going dark. We're going to go for it. We're going to go for it. Okay. <laughs> okay, so um, it really just depends. Uh, sometimes, If it's like an actual threat to the public, then a lot of the times the emergency management agency of our area will put something out. If it's not necessarily any kind of threat to the public and say you targeted a specific area and it was just like you had a beef with a bunch of friends or something like that, um, I do have sources that are in our local agencies that um, be like, hey, you might want to watch for this or they'll shoot me a text late at night and they'll let me know when something's going on. But 90% of the time, if it's just like a one-off or, or something like if a guy committed a murder or something like that in the middle of the night, I have to kind of see that myself. So multiple times through the day, I'll be checking the rosters for inmates in our area. What do you mean the rosters? That's like the prison system? Like a- database the database for inmates in our jail systems in the county and then in our city systems as well so a lot of the times they will put up who got arrested and for what they'll put a mugshot what they did and kind of things like that so if it's a smaller thing and it's like a failure to appear to court for a license plate or something like that then i'll ignore it but if it's something bigger like an attempted murder then i will reach out to the agency that brought that person in and I'll talk to them and be like, hey, is this anything? Because a lot of the times they'll hold people, say Nick Smith or whatever was brought in, but he's not being charged right now. He was brought into the jail system and he's being held there because he has court tomorrow or something like that. So I'll text them and I'll be like, hey, is this something to this? Did something happen? And I'm like, yeah, I'm writing the press release up right now. I'll give you a call. And that's when it kind of sucks because I'll be at a ball game or something random and I'll get a text message or I'll be looking at something and I'll just be like, I really wish I didn't see that. I'm busy. I don't, like, I don't get off days. <laughs> That's what a question that I was just going to ask you is it sounds like you have to be 24 seven. Yeah, um, I do, but I love it. At times I have to put my phone down or allow other people to help me. I rely on my teammates a lot and be like, Hey, I am exhausted. I've done five articles today. Can you please handle this? Cause my brain is mush. Yeah, you're on 24-7. Things happen all the time. So it's a combination of being tipped off 
by the relationships that you've established and built and then chasing your own stories down by checking databases and things like that. Right. I mean, this is truly like a dream job for me. I swear. I'm dying dying. years ago because I was a true crime podcast listener for years before Nikki and I started this I would reach out to all my favorite podcasts and offer to do research for them (laughs) and I just I love it I don't know why I never connected the dots hello go write for a paper (laughs) I know you love it but there still Mm -hmm. has to be an element that is challenging for you emotionally or even because I'm thinking of my own self as if I'm you I wouldn't stop thinking about the story that I wrote or the people or I just feel like I would be so consumed by the things that I'm reporting on all of the time not I wouldn't say consumed just because there's a process kind of thing I do kind of keep things in the back of my mind I'm like okay I need to check up on that and see if that's kind of gone anywhere two weeks ago there was a, a human skull that was found close by and I have to keep that in the back of my mind like okay I need to email this chief about whether or not they've identified him through DNA or whatever I think the most challenging part is when I do have to go to trials and I have to physically see images of, Mm. um, yeah, like it can get pretty graphic. You say like, oh, I don't think that it'll be that hard for me to look at things like that because I am a person that watches horror films and I love horror films, but there's a big difference between seeing it in real life and seeing it on a film that is fake. And humans can do some awful things to each other. And the first couple of murder trials that I had to sit through, I would close my eyes and just see the pictures that I saw there at the trial. And it it sticks with you for a little while. We had a a seminar for mental health for journalists here. And one of the psychologists, this is the way she set it up. Imagine a lemon. And imagine that you stick your thumb through the lemon and you pull it apart and you are feeling the bumpy texture of the lemon. And once you pull it apart, you smell that zest and you feel the spritz on your face and you smell it really tangy. Is your mouth watering? Because if it is, then that is a physiological response, an actual real response that your body is having to something that you hear, something that you're only hearing. And as journalists, we are hearing these stories of trauma from other people. And though we are not experiencing it ourselves, our body is still going through something that we might not always understand. So that hit really hard for me just because I didn't realize that, yeah, I'm hearing about all these stories and I'm hearing the victims tell me these awful things that have happened to them. But I didn't realize how it's affecting me personally. That's a good analogy. That is a good analogy. That has to have had an effect on you as a mom seeing what you see and all of those things. So how do you separate to maybe not have it affect in a negative way? Medication. (laughs) Hey, that works. I love it. I love it. I'm in your club, girl. I got you. (laughs) No, um, I don't know. I feel like sometimes I do need to shut it off because this is my job. This is my real life job. And then I go Mm -hmm. home and I listen to podcasts. (laughs) And then when I'm not (laughs) listening to podcasts, I'm watching true crime TV. So I do feel like sometimes I should probably shut it off. I try not to listen or see things that are specifically grotesque just because I do know that smaller ears are around me and there needs to be some form of censorship there. What about in terms of their safety? How do you go anywhere or let your kids go anywhere? <laughs> Let's just say this. Or do you my, not? You just don't go places. <laughs> I do, but I have a 15-year-old daughter and then I have a 
14-year-old and a two-year-old. And my 15-year-old hates it because I am so overprotective of them that for the longest time, I wouldn't allow them to leave the yard. I was making sure that I knew exactly within a five-mile radius how many sex offenders was in the area. Yes, like it was, yes. <laughs> you just have no idea. We're on vacation. Can I walk down to the corner? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you don't know the area, but that's also got to be tough too because you do know the bad areas in the place where you live. So if they're saying they're going to Washington Street, I don't know if that's a street where you live, but like, you know, Washington Street to hang out at their friend's house, you're like, nope, I know <laughs> of this, 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 this that's happened there. For sure. You have no idea how right on the money you are. Oh, and I will say this, invest in an app called Life360. Tell us about that, Ashley, for people that don't have it. What's the takeaway there? What's the bonus? It's an app that allows you to track movements to specific people that are in your circle, your family. It allows you to track their movements. And you can do a subscription thing where it tells you how fast they're going, if they were using their phone while they're driving, literally everything. It's a little bit of a stalkery app, but it's also- Love it. It's fine. We're here for it. Nikki, I like that. I love that app. It's a peace of mind app that I appreciate and I'm glad exists. Yep. I feel like everybody should have it. I've even told all my friends that don't have it. I'm like, you need to get it. It's so awesome. And it even has crash detection. Nikki, were you positioned to advertise this app? I'm not, <laughs> but it you're is really like- selling it. <laughs> they should be a sponsor. <laughs> I know. There they might be a future a sponsor. sponsorship here. But I'm telling you, it really is. It's my most favorite app. I tell clients about it. I tell my friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yes, I really like it. But okay, moving on from my non-sponsored Life360. Well, hopefully they'll hear it. Life360, talk to Nikki. (laughs) Exactly, because I really love it. But I have a question about people that they're, it's a cold case and the families want more coverage on it. Have you ever had anybody reach out to you for that? Uh, Yeah, and it's, it's hard because you want to be the voice of the family, but then at the same time, you know that there's only so much that police officers can do. And I feel like I am a a go-between or a mediator at times because I do have most of my sympathy for the families and for the victims themselves, while at the same time I know a lot about what law enforcement have to go through. And I do understand a lot of the kind of ins and outs of the process of an investigation. And I also know there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that we can't be privy to because they don't want to mess up the ins and outs of what they're working on. Um, So it's hard at times. I had a woman come in here not too long ago. I think it was last week at some time. And she was livid. She was absolutely livid because I had named her granddaughter as a witness in a case in an article that I wrote. However, nobody had told me, I guess, that that she was in any kind of danger. Nobody had told me that she was in any kind of, I guess, yes, she was a witness in a case, but like all of the files that I go through when it comes to reporting on those type of things come from a public database. There's a court system thing and everything that they have on that particular case is public. It's public knowledge. Anybody can look at it. And so 
her name is all over those reports. So I pretty much had to explain to her that it was not necessarily me that was putting her name out there. These are already public records. And had the courts redacted it or blocked it out, then I would never name her for any kind of reason. But she just still was adamant saying that her granddaughter was receiving death threats and all of these things for speaking up. And it kind of puts me in this mediator role. I have to be sympathetic while also being firm. Does that make sense? Yeah, you have to hold the line. I have had some families come to me and last year in September, there was a really interesting story because there was a man who had went missing and he was missing for a long, long period of time. And his mother has always thought that people were involved in his disappearance and that harm had come to her son. And they just recently, like a month or two ago, came out and said that they were looking at the investigation now as a homicide. And then they charged two separate people. And it's a really crazy case. Basically, it's a mother and a son. And the man that they killed was dating the mom. And he was staying at her house. And one of the witnesses in the case overheard them in the next room screaming, arguing. And here's the mom screaming, kill him, kill him. And then here's several gunshots. And then he goes missing. And supposedly... We don't know exactly what happened, but the guy, his name is Gavin Snyder, allegedly he had made verbal confirmations to the victim's mother stating that he had basically dismembered him and put him in several trash cans throughout the city, basically. Oh my God. How does that even happen? That kills me. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he told the mother of the victim. Yeah. So basically kind of like, because like I said, she done a lot of armchair, armchair detective work. She was going and talking to a lot of the key people that was in the, I guess, in the circumstance. And she was texting back and forth and she was showing screenshots and sending them to the, the police chief about what all she was hearing from people. But there is no body yet. Nope. They do not have any kind of body. I don't think they have blood evidence at all. They just have testimonial evidence and I believe they might have found some sort of trace evidence in a burn barrel behind their house or something. She was doing a lot of armchair detective work and bringing actual evidence to the police that they didn't know. She was like crazy, amazing, like just badass mom. You know what I mean? Like that's awesome. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff that I've gotten as far as his actual story, most of that has actually come from her. That's still ongoing. There's no conclusion yet to that. No, we just went to a preliminary hearing, which I'm not sure if you know what that is, but we went to the preliminary hearing of his two murderers yesterday. And that's a pre-trial? Um, no. Okay. So after you get arrested, you have something called a 72 hour bond hearing. And in that hearing, your bond is set. And then within the next month or so, you have what is called a preliminary hearing. And the preliminary hearing advises you of your rights and basically tells the courts whether or not the state has enough probable cause to pursue a trial. So if they find enough evidence to say, okay, yes, this is worth going forward with. We do feel like you did something bad. We're going to put it to the grand jury. And a lot of the states, they eliminate that process altogether. Alabama is one of the states that still has a preliminary hearing. It's basically just the judge is saying, yes, 
I understand that some stuff is going on here and we're going to put it to the grand jury. And then the grand jury looks at the totality of the circumstances and says whether or not the person's going to be indicted or not. And if they are indicted, then it moves forward to trial. And then that's when they can get convicted, guilty, not guilty, all that stuff. Right. So the grand jury tells them if they're indicted and then the indictment goes forward. And that's when both parties, the state, the defense attorneys will build a case and then either years later, months later, whatever it is, the trial will actually go forth. They'll choose an actual jury through the processes and then they'll put the trial on. And then that's when the jury will decide afterwards. That's a long process. It really, really is. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> For that hearing that you went to, are you there all day? No, the one that we saw yesterday was like 15 minutes long. It was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. So a lot of the, a lot of the smaller hearings, they're just in and out. The, we have something, I don't know if you guys have something like this, but we have something called an Anaya's law. And in the state of Alabama, our justice system can hold people without bond if they're violent offenders. It's basically because like a lot of the times people do something horrible, they'll commit a first degree assault where they shoot somebody in the leg and they'll go to jail, but their bond is $10,000. So they only have to pay a portion or a percentage of that. And then they're out the next day. And they can do that over and over and over and over and over again until basically they go to trial. And typically while they keep racking up all these bonds before this law was implemented, they could just get out and only serve a little bit of time at a time. But now there's this law the courts can look at the entire offense history of a person and be like, okay, this person's dangerous and we do not need to allow them out on the streets. That's pretty much what happened in this case. At Gavin's 72-hour bond hearing, they had had a Anaya's Law hearing to determine that he was a dangerous person and should not be allowed out on bond. So the evidence typically is brought at the preliminary hearing. But since they had already had the Anaya's Law hearing, a lot of that case evidence that had already been heard. But then when it goes to trial, are you there all day for that or just same thing, little snippets maybe at the end? That typically lasts about a week. And I'm there anywhere from 10 to 12 hours a day, every single day until the trial. Oh, yeah, that's oh, that's a long time. (laughs) Yeah, I usually bring up my laptop and I set up a little like cubicle inside the court or there's typically little rooms off to the side of the courts that I can just make a little makeshift office. And I'll just sit there and ride all day. Mariah is about to sell her house in Alabama. I, I mean, yeah, I'm there. I can freelance from here. Mariah, this really is your whole gig. I can see with your laptop, your setup, the whole thing. Yep, I'm ready. I'm ready for my first assignment. <laughs> How many articles are you expected to write each week, Ashley? How does that work? Well, the Coughs and Courts beat is not my only beat. I do a lot of stuff with the university. That's one of my beats as well. And then I have city stuff that I have to do with the city of Jacksonville as well. But typically they like us to write at least one article a day. Nine times out of 10, it's at least three. I think the most that I've done is five. (laughs) Imagine if you go back to college or high school, whenever you're writing a research paper and how long it took you to write a research paper, it took you like an entire week to write that paper, right? Yes. Well, it's kind of like that, except you're writing five or six or 10 sometimes in that entire week. And then it's also repeating what other people said to you. So it's like, okay, well, this person said this and I can quote him on that. And then you're in your brain templating it into a cohesive thought process on paper. That's a lot of work. It really is. It really is. 
do you get a lot of pushback? I know you touched on like the families and I could definitely see the families coming after you for putting their names or maybe saying that wasn't my son, blah, 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 blah. Do you run into that with loading people being like, oh, you know, that was kind of taken out of context or this, that, and the other. I feel like it would be hard sometimes maybe to write a story that didn't have a negative light on somebody, obviously, and what you're doing. So how do you get kind of a lot of pushback on what you're doing? Yeah, at times, especially the moms of the like, the guys that went to jail or did something bad or sometimes I get pushback from like if I report on a car accident and there was a fatality or something I had this one case where the gentleman was trying to pass a semi truck it was like going uphill around a turn and obviously what he was doing was extremely dangerous and he hit head on somebody that was coming the opposite direction he lost his life and the woman that was in the car that he hit was severely injured from it. And I just repeated what I was told by the cops and by the law enforcement and EMAs and all that. But his family did not like that I reported on it at all, just because it paints your loved one in a bad light. And although he died for his mistake, at the same time, I'm just the messenger. I'm just reporting what the cops tell me to. You're reporting facts. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But it does lead me to understand that there are people who have lives behind the stories that I write. And I do have to still tell the fact, but in a way that's not maybe quite so blatant or as sharp. Do you have something every day happening? Um, No, like not every single day, most days, I would say. But you guys actually looked out today. There was absolutely nothing. I was wondering how often big things happen. Big things, not that often. Big things, no. Um, Almost every day, little things at least. And at times you have to pick and choose what's important and what's bigger thing that you need to write out. Oh, there's a teenager that's flipping over picnic tables in a park that's, you know, just stupid stuff, you know? It's like, okay, I know you want that to be news, but that's not really news. (laughs) (laughs) That was actually my question, Ashley. How is it decided what you're going to write about and what's not? Like, the gentleman that was trying to pass the truck and crash his car. I could also see that being a eh, car accident, maybe not reportable. So how do you decide what's going to become a story and what isn't? Um, 90% of the time we have a list almost in our heads of what we do report on and what is not something that we need to report on or that we should report on like traffic fatalities. We do report on those traffic accidents that say leave the roadways down for an extended period of time or interesting facts. Like there was one time I was coming home from Walmart and I turned my head and there's a truck that's completely engulfed in flames. And there's this guy folding his arms, just watching it burn. (laughs) So I just like, I stop and I get out and I take a picture and I'm like, so what happened? (laughs) So typically I wouldn't have written on a guy that's got a burning truck, but because I was physically there and I got a photo of it and, and was able to, the narrative of it, it really, I think it really just depends on the circumstance, really. So the gentleman who crashed his car, what's your time frame turnaround? Like he crashed it at midnight and you have the article written by 7.30 p.m. the next day. How quickly are you turning the stories around? When it's something like that, if I'm like right there with it and I took a photo, I'll get it up online within the next 30 minutes. 
Um, oh, if it's, okay. yeah. So if it's a big, big thing, I've literally pulled over on the side of the interstate before to be a reporter for a second. And you basically get the important bits and you put it online as quickly as possible. And then you go back and you fill in the gaps and you fill it into a bigger story as it is reportable. Did you hear about the Dadeville shooting not too long ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually I felt like I dropped the ball completely on that one because that happened not even three, four hours from here. And I didn't know about it all day like all day I was just like my phone was down I just was being mom and I just was completely checked out nobody told me about it nobody had called me and it was like that night it went completely viral CNN picked it up BBC picked it up and do you feel guilt in those moments that's where my personality would absorb into guilt like I can't believe I missed this story it wasn't necessarily guilt my editor is amazing and he's like you can't report on something you don't know about (laughs) Um, so yeah, yeah. (laughs) and he was very gracious. And once I found out about it, that's when we kind of got it. And then once you have it, when you have something like that and it's like, okay, everybody else has already gotten this story. Then what do we do? That's when you start to try to grasp that something that some other people don't have. So then I was like, okay, well, one of the people that was in the Daneville shooting was actually promised to the football team of our local university. So that's the, where I ran with it. I went to the university and I went to the football coach and I'm like, Hey, can you tell me more about the fact that he was promised to your team next year? And can you explain, you know, just give me a quote about the fact that, that you guys are devastated, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So you look and at it in a different- are people willing to talk to you or do you have to pester them? I think it really just depends. Most people are just egotistical enough to want to see their name in the paper. So <laughs> yeah, so a lot of the times they, they do want to talk. I try to build rapport with people enough to- want to have a conversation with them, but I would say 90% of the time they're pretty helpful. And then the other 10%, they're just like, no, I don't talk to the media at all. Do you ever get people that talk to you and then think about it and then they call you back? Like, don't use that? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And do you have to not use it? Yeah. And I've kind of gotten into a bit of a tiff with some of the copy editors here just because they're more old school and they're like, no, if they said it and they said it on the record there, then that's not something that you need to worry about. That's not your concern. They're big boys and they understand when they're speaking to a reporter or not. And they need to just kind of suck it up. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. (laughs) But in my own personal moral compass, I am afraid that if I do that, then that will burn that source and then they'll never talk to me again. So yeah, that, that would be tough. Because mm-hmm. I would just be afraid of people yelling at me all the time. That would scare <laughs> me too. <laughs> okay. Oh gosh. Yeah. I haven't had anybody yell. Nobody's yelled at me. I have had people send weird things in the mail though. What? Yeah. Just weird. Threatening things or their fans? Uh, Both. There's this one oh. guy that sent me romance novels with depictions oh. of weird things on the front covers like creepy disgusting (laughs) um and then i've had this one guy send me a 12 page handwritten letter and a gun sight that was creepy what (laughs) like just oh my god yeah that would stress me out i don't (laughs) think i can handle that (laughs) yeah mariah wouldn't you be stressed no i'm curious Oh my! Curious. No. I'm like, wait, tell me more about this letter. Like, what's going oh. on? 
my God. I would be freaking out. I'd be calling everybody to look into it. I couldn't handle it. No. But you don't have anybody. They're sending it to your station. They're not sending it to like your house, right? Right. They're sending it to the Anderson Star and then somebody puts like, oh, this is addressed to Ashley. Let's just put it, you know, on her desk. A a whole novel handwritten. I mean, you to be fair, Nikki, if they were showing up at her house, I might be a little more nervous. See? Yeah. Yes. Oh, that freaks me out. That is so crazy to me. People are so weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can have a whole article about weird people. If it's a slow week, you should just do articles on weird things and weird people. And see what happens. <laughs> That's funny. I think if I were to ever do anything else, like as far as like writing wise, I would just go full-time column writer because then you could just be so much more flowery with your verbiage because everything that I write now is so drab and I have to say exactly what they say. And then most of what I write is just sad and all this stuff. So if I were to write for a column for life and arts, let's cover this gay pride festival in Birmingham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> yeah. Something a little more fun, a little yeah. more, a um, little more nice. Yeah. Well, when you're ready to switch your beat, Ashley, just let me know. I'll, <laughs> I'll put my hat in the ring for your spot. I wanted to tell you guys about probably one of the most interesting stories that I've worked on. And it was like a almost like a saga. It was like we reported on the first thing and then we are still seeing that out. I think it's been like another two years later or a year and a half or something like that later. And at first we didn't know what it was. We thought it was another missing person thing and that she would be found and all that because a lot of missing people, they get reported, but then most of the time they get found. And this particular time, it actually happened really fast. It was July 4th. I want to say last year, it might've been the year before last, but this woman was followed home from the grocery store and she was abducted. Basically she goes into her house and she's starting to unload her groceries and she turns around and there's this big guy that's standing behind her and he orders her into the trunk of his car. And she basically gets in the trunk and she's pleading with him, telling him not to do this and trying to give him money and all this stuff. The police found her cell phone laying on her bed, her glasses in the gravel portion of her driveway outside. So they knew that there was something wrong. So right off the get go, they knew that it was not that she just up and left or disappeared. And this is where it gets modern technologies and with, have you ever heard of a license reader? No. Okay. So license plate readers, sometimes those are actually not necessarily to monitor speed. Those are 90% of the time to monitor license plates. And with that technology, they can basically take a generalized description of your car, a little snippet of what your car looks like, the make, the model, your license plate, and their software now that can track your movements no matter where you go. They even have it on rural roads now. Yes. And it's actually one of the most wonderful things because they were able to find this woman this elderly woman six hours later after she was abducted. No way. Yeah. So six hours only after she was abducted, she was found in his closet, completely nude, bound by duct tape, sitting in a chair, and he had fled the state. She had been just brutally beaten, raped, just all the horrible things that you can possibly imagine would happen to an elderly woman happened to her. And like I said, through those license plate readers, they were able to get the United States Marshals Services involved. They went through 
through multiple states, they were able to catch him in northern Kentucky, three or four states away via these license plate readers. Like that's pretty much how they were able to catch him. That's crazy. Yeah. And the kicker is that once they actually caught him, they extradited him back to Alabama and they did a cheek swab for his DNA. They were able to match him to several other rapes. Oh my God. No. Yeah. Good. Right. It was like, well, I don't want to say like that sucks that that had to happen to that poor lady, but Mm -hmm. I mean, it did get everything else kind of solved for when that happens with those license plates. How did they figure out what car and what make and model type of thing? Like just cameras from around the neighborhood? Well, okay. So they started out with her movements and whenever they were looking through where she went and where she was at that day. So they knew that she had went to Walmart and Publix. And as she's in the Publix complex, they see this car, I guess, kind of pull out behind her. And then they see the exact same car in the Walmart parking lot acting sporadically. They could see that it was shooting up one aisle and then coming back down the aisle. There was no intention of actually entering the store. And then when she gets in her car and she leaves, he speeds out behind her. And she doesn't know that somebody's following her. She's just going about her day. And she doesn't see him until he's in her house. Literally, he stalks her from one grocery store to the next to her home. That's insane. Yeah. So they they know because they follow her trail and then kind of see what comes from that. Yes. They were able to find where he had took her to his house by a car dealership who had security cameras that was on top of a hill close to his house. It wasn't even like across the street, but it was in that general direction of where he would be pulling into his house. And that was how they were able to monitor his movements. They saw him pull into to that specific address. That is crazy that they can do that. I just find it so interesting. <laughs> I'm like, I do too. Ashley, I will ask you this because I feel like this is an important question. We have a younger audience. A lot of middle schoolers like to listen to us. We hear we're pretty popular in those demographics, (laughs) which I don't know what that says about us, but I'll take it shaping the minds of the youth. Um, So to those that are listening that are like, yes, I love to write. I love true crime. This is how I could blend the two. What is the best way for them to get into this line of work? What would your advice be? What are things to avoid or things to do? I would say to mainly just go to college, go to school. The biggest advocate for that would be to kind of network yourself and to go to a school that you know has some sort of internship program where you can get to know people and them because people like to do business with people that they know. That's how anything that I do get started is just through meeting people. And that's the heart of what I do is to meet people. And the more you meet people, the easier it is. And so I definitely think that the baseline is to go to school and to get your foot in the door that way. Yeah. Try to take the internships, try to talk to your local papers or things like that. Get yourself out there, exposure network. Obviously they'd probably go for a journalism degree, but do you feel like having your background in science helped a lot? Like, is this, would you recommend them doing the criminal justice minor or something like that? Or do you think that doesn't necessarily matter? I think it helps me understand a lot more coming into this role. Mm-hmm. However, I feel like a lot of jobs don't necessarily care too much about the specific degree that you have. It's the more that you have a degree. 
and they care more about the experience. And that's where the internships and all that stuff kind of comes in. And most universities nowadays will have a larger job core initiative inside of their school that's structured that will help them have the job before they even graduate. Does that make sense? Yep. They've got it lined up, ready to go. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. And I think that's great advice. Let's do a couple of fun ones and then we'll let her go because we're also over on time, which is another. I thing know. I feel do. so bad. <laughs> I, know. I know. We're really always over are. on her time. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I okay. enjoyed talking to you ladies. My classic go-to question for you, Ashley, is if you're going to pick your last meal, what's it going to be? Oh, gosh. Um, my last meal? Like, it, like I can have it. See, the, this is hard because like I am doing keto right now. So. Oh, yeah. No, you're not on the diet. You I'm don't have allergies. Oh, you, you don't um, have food sensitivities. You can like anything I want. It. it would be yeah. it would be a funnel cake for sure, and a and a cup of coffee. I I think. Okay, well, hold on. Funnel cake from where? From a either a carnival or a fair or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Have you had the red velvet? funnel cake no I haven't that sounds delicious oh, it's amazing you need I've to never try even it. heard of that I'm trying to think now where I was when I got that I think I was at Disney World actually now that I say that so maybe it's there but it was incredible and I highly recommend it if you see it. if I had to choose a second last meal or maybe that could just be my dessert um or your be- appetizer start with the funnel cake then what are you gonna have there you go <laughs> I think I would do Korean bibimbap, and I don't know if you know what that Ooh, is. Ooh, yeah. yes. What is that? Yes. What's that? Google what it looks like, but it's essentially like a bunch of grilled vegetables and stuff like that on top of a bed of rice. Okay. Kind of yeah. like a Korean fried rice, kind of, kind of. Yeah. Oh, that sounds pretty good. All right. I always like to ask this one is, what is something that you collect? Mugs from every city that I've ever been to. Mugs. Oh, I love that. Do you use them or yes. they just sit there? Yes, they get used to. So like... I've been to Paris, South Korea, Japan, China. I've been to Scotland. Any city that I go to, I get a mug. And if I don't, I cry. (laughs) It's important. (laughs) It's important. How many do you have, you think? Oh, God. I've had to throw some away because my husband gets mad at me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But a lot of times, the ones that get broken or the handles chip off or there's like a big chip. If I can't deem it useful anymore, I do have to throw them away. But I would say if I had to guesstimate, maybe around 50 or so. Wow. Used to be more way, way more. That's crazy. That's a lot of places you've visited. My more important ones I don't use. Like I have a Krispy Kreme mug from South Korea that I don't necessarily use. And then I have like my favorites. There's one from Savannah, Georgia. And I don't know if you've ever been to Savannah, but it's a ghost town. It's like, yeah. oh, I've heard that. Yeah. I have one that's has a really beautiful handmade mug from Savannah. And I use that all the time. I love it so much. That's so cool. Did you see ghosts when you were there? No, but we definitely went on a ghost tour, like a walking Of thing. course. Yeah. You didn't feel anything? You didn't feel like there was a ghost on the tour? Oh, there's <laughs> there is a story. I don't know how much more time you guys have. Uh, well, we have time for a ghost story. We always okay. have time for a ghost uh, story. You guys are going to yeah. be like, no, I don't believe you, but it's still fun to hear. So I came home from Savannah feeling like crud. I felt not good, like I was going to get sick or something. You know how when you get sick, your body feels weighted and it's just icky and you just achy all over the place. Yeah. Yep. I was feeling that for a couple of days and then I really wanted to get some sleep. So I took a couple of melatonin and I was lying down and I was in between that portion of sleep and awake. And okay. 
I saw visions of this woman flash in between my eyes, like in my brain. Right. I know that sounds crazy, but it was like, okay. And I was like, whoa, I was like, whoa, what the hell? And I was like, okay, you don't have to scream, chill out what's going on. And I just kind of like was talking to myself in this state of inebriation. It was like in between sleep and awake now, don't judge me. Um, no. so I was like, I was like, okay, so what is it? And she kept showing me her hands and I was like, okay, well, what about your hands? And she just kept showing me her hands and, and I was like, okay, well, what is your name? And she told me your name. I don't remember it anymore, but she told me your name and I was like, okay. And I was like, where are you from? And she told me this town and I was like, okay. Well, the next morning I was curious. I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. I'll humor myself and I'll look yes. it up. So I Googled the name and I Googled the city and I Googled stories. I was trying to figure out what it was. And there was a woman by that name that was in the early 18 or 1900s that had passed away. Basically what she was doing was she was coming on a horse drawn carriage with her two older sons, her husband and her baby. And she was crossing the stream and the horses lost their footing because there had been a lot of water that made the stream level rise and it was becoming like the loose area underneath it or whatever. And the husband and the two boys was able to swim away, but the woman drowned. And the reason she was showing me her hands was because she was holding her infant son. No. Yes. Did the baby die too? Yes. Oh, that's wild. And was this in Georgia? It was in Georgia. The town that she had showed me or whatever was in Georgia. But I tell you that my skin was crawling. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yes. In God's name. Because, but yeah, like it was the craziest thing ever. Why do you think she got attached to you? You just, I don't, you know. don't know? I have no because idea. she's a reporter, Nikki, because she <laughs> can figure out her story. Oh my God. That's so crazy. And you never dreamed of her again. No, no. It was just the weirdest thing because it happened two or three days after I came home from Savannah. And like I said, I had went on those ghost tours and we were doing all the touristy things that happen in Savannah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wonder if she's going to come back now that you've talked about her. I'm just kidding. <laughs> If you do, you better text Nikki. She wants to know about it. Yes. I love ghost stories. I really do. It makes my day. <laughs> she might have attached herself to me because I also had an infant daughter at the same. My daughter's two now, but if this was last year, she would have been right over one years old. So mm. yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Weird. Did she have on old time clothing? Or it wasn't that detailed. Yeah, it wasn't that detailed. Mostly I saw her face and her hair was kind of up, like it was floating kind of thing. Um, no. It was just kind of like flashes of like little imagery. And then, like I said, she kept showing me her hands. And then every time I would ask her questions, she would show me the like snippets of like her name and the city name and all that. But it was like a super in detail kind of thing. I'm not a medium. I'm not anything like that. I'm just, Love you know, it. just a person. Yes. <laughs> That is so crazy. I like that ghost story. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. It would freak me out, but I like to hear it. I don't want it to happen to me. Any ghosts out there listening. Yeah, I was gonna say you better put your disclaimer out there, Nikki. Yeah. I up. like to yeah, I like to hear other people's ghost stories. I don't necessarily like it happening to me, but that's a good one. My last question for you would be if they were gonna make a movie about you. Who would you want to play you? Amanda Seyfried. Oh, oh I like your voice. Her. I could see that. Yes. She would be a good crime reporter. I could see that movie. I could see it happening. Yeah, that'd be cool. Plus, I think she has very interesting eyes. 
And I have heterochromia, actually. So what's that? It's when you have one of two different colors when each eye is really. So what are your colors? I have a dark brown and a hazel kind of chestnut brown. Like one's a very, very deep, like chocolate brown. And the other's a very light, almost hazel. Oh, that's really interesting. Does that run in families? Uh, Kind of, but not. My oldest daughter has secular heterochromia. And it's basically where there's a very clear line, one color in the very, very center. And then the outer line is a very different color. But that's not true heterochromia true heterochromia is like david bowie like where one is one and the other is the other okay yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's my last one you got last one last one no i think that one's good because i like your ghost story that one's even better that's like a that's like a triple right there i like that that is a big win for you (laughs) it really is (laughs) you might need to start asking people do you have any ghost stories oh my god we got told a good one. I actually probably do because that would make my day. That's like a whole nother segment I can do is ghost stories. That would <laughs> there be you cool. go. Right? <laughs> when I our podcast gets super popular, Nikki, you can do a spinoff individual show where it's yeah. just ghost stories. Well, I'm telling you, I was on the edge of my seat when you were telling me the story. I'm like, uh-huh. And then. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you and Ashley should start a podcast and Ashley can research it and find all the ghosts. And yes. you can get people to channel them to you. <laughs> I'm there down, we go. I'm down. <laughs> right? I really was on the edge of my seat. So yeah, that could be a possibility. Love it so much. <laughs> Thank you for talking with us. Thank you. I very much enjoyed this. This was so fun, Ashley. Thank you for making the time. Absolutely. So Thank you so much. I'm so glad that we actually finally got to do this. I was super excited and you guys are yeah. so happy to talk to you. Oh, thank you. You are too. Yeah, this was so great. Thank you so much, Bodie. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon and we'll talk soon. You as well. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, so what did you think? Loved. I know you are loving every second. Yeah, yeah. L-O-V-E, love. I want to put in my resume for an internship <laughs> and I want to start working that beat. Right? I'm there. I'm there for I it. I know. I knew you were dying with all the lingo and all the research and all that mm-hmm. stuff. She is so nice. She's so easy to talk to. Really loved her. She was awesome. Yeah, she's adorable and she has so much tenacity and I could see how she's just that perfect hybrid personality that's going to be able to build those relationships with the court judges and police officers and DAs and be able to get them to want to talk to her. I loved her. Loved, And it seems like she has a really fun Carrie Bradshaw life of just being in 10,000 different cities in South Korea. I wanted to ask her so many questions like, how have you lived in South Korea and all these different places? But I didn't have another two hours to delve into her full personal life because it seems like she's really worldly. Yep. She's very worldly, well-traveled. But I also just can't get over because, you know, I just want access to everything. So it's like you have access to these databases. I want that. You get to sit in these courtrooms and hear these trials, although I'm sure it is hard to emotionally handle, I want that access. I want to be able to hear these things and write it. I just think it's so cool on so many levels. But you know me, I love to go down a rabbit hole. I love to chase something down. So yeah, I don't think I would ever sleep. No, I don't think you could. No, I would be so consumed by this all the time. I see her like driving down the road, pulling over, being like, I got to write a story. (laughs) 
Okay, yeah. let's do it. I, I'm ready. I love it. But I will say the only caveat to that is the responsibility that comes from representing somebody's loved one. That's a lot to tackle. Yeah, I think I would feel really stressed about them reading it or something. Thing. You know what I mean? Right, yeah, I would. Right. Or getting these moms that are calling you complaining about how you have portrayed their son in the media when it's because, look, we all have our own perceptions of reality. Right. So even though she's reporting facts, that's not their facts. Well, I guess until next week. Right. Because next week there might be somebody where like, I'm going to go do this. So we'll see. We'll see who next week is. OK. Sounds good. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at bodytoburial.com. If you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.